Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell them you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. A podcast on the road, as you see behind me, not the typical Intentional Encourager podcast background, but I tell you what, the guy that I have on, if you're watching on YouTube, you want to talk about backgrounds. My goodness, what a fantastic background he has. And I think my son might actually watch this episode because Bill's got a, a, a life-size that what appears to be Iron Man in, in his background. And it's incredible. But I tell you what, this guy, I have followed him for a, a good while. And once you hear him today, you're going to want to connect with him. He's an Emmy-nominated TV live and virtual event director. I've got an Emmy winner on with me. I cannot believe this. The, the Intentional Encourager podcast has its first Emmy winner. He's a video producer, a, market, a marketing strategist, and the author of 7DRM, The Seven Disciplines of Relationship Marketing. So business owners, entrepreneurs, there's going to be something here for you. But it is such an honor to welcome my friend Bill Dolan to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Bill, how are you? I am excited to be here with you. Very excited. As we were talking, you know, it's been a long day, but what better way for us to invest time together and reminding people that there is so much more than they can imagine, that wherever they are, that the story is not complete yet, that we're in the middle of the journey. And this is where things start to get really fun. So hold on to your seats and get ready for the time of your life. Well, and in, 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 in true West Virginia fashion, I said, Bill, like, you know, like, like I, I had to throw a little, I, I didn't intentionally do, no pun intended. I didn't intentionally try to throw a little West Virginia twang in there, but, but it was Bill, great. It was great. <laughs> I actually, actually, Brian, I had a friend that I used to work with for years that called me Beal. Beal. Yeah, Beal. It was like, hey, it was it's warm and endearing. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you, my my dad always said you can't help your raisin, so I I am gonna I'm just gonna take that ball and run with it. Bill, let's start here. I, 
I want to start here in a different direction because I normally start with with take me through the last couple of years around COVID and the, the pandemic and things like that. And boy, it just feels like we are so on the tail end of it. Praise God, we're, we're, we're finally coming to the end of this thing. You have been doing virtual events, though, for a good while, be, even before COVID-19. I would ask you this. What was a lesson that you learned that was maybe an aha moment or a V8 moment, as I like to call it, from the last couple of years that you go, man, had I... I, I thought about this in a different way, or, or I wish I had done something a little bit different. What we're doing now, I wish I had done that five or, or six years ago. Was there a moment like that, that you had that V8 moment during the last couple of years? Well, there wasn't a, oh, we've made a mistake. I wish I had done this. Probably the, the, the some of the lessons around COVID and the whole virtual environment starts with the idea that most of us just don't know how to do it. That somehow we think if I just take something and I slam a camera on it or put a video signal on it, somehow I create a virtual event. Um, but I think what COVID taught us in large part was that uh, there's so much more to it. In fact, if you want to know uh, where the power of a great virtual experience is, look at how people came out of uh, the COVID season. I say, well, technically still in it in some level. We get to Friday and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I'm zoomed out. I've been staring at a screen for five days and I'm just wiped out and I don't want to look at another screen. I just, I can't take it anymore. I can hardly wait to go home, ready for the weekend. They pop in Monday and they're like juvenated and da 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 da. You say, well, hey, tell me how'd your week go? Oh, great. Ready to face the week. Good. What'd you do? Well, I binged watched Netflix. And yeah. went, wait, 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 wait. You spent the first five days of last week whining because you had five days of screens, but you had two days of screens and now you're a different person. And it was the wake up call that it's not the screens that are the issue. It's not even looking at screens. Granted, there's eye fatigue and things that come with it. But what it did is it reminded me of what I've learned being in television for so many years is that people will watch a screen because of the gift that you give them through the screen. And sometimes that gift is entertainment. Sometimes that is understanding. Sometimes that's wisdom. Sometimes it's a beautiful story. Sometimes it's encouragement. But the idea is that when people go to a screen, are you giving them something that is valuable to them and also the style that they want to receive it? Hmm. For example, I, I, I tell everybody that does virtual events, one, cut the time in half. Just cut it in half. Yeah. You know, I mean, we sitcoms right now average 30 minutes and actually technically it's 28 minutes with commercials. Mm -hmm. But yet we somehow believe that we should put the the head of our ministry partner or a corporate donor or whatever and let him ramble for an hour and pretend that people are interested. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, if you actually were to break down scenes from programs, whether they be on Netflix or network programming, um, the average scene is about 90 seconds. Yeah. Before it goes to the next. So... 
there's an art form and a precious gift that we can give in all media, in all marketing, in all communication, if we would but care about our audience, learn the craft, and then give that gift. And uh, when I really looked at that and heard that, um, it was the wake-up call. So we don't produce, by the way, <coughs> virtual events. We produce interactive internet television. Wow. And by producing interactive internet television, it demands that we know our audience, deliver it with excellence, deliver the results that they're looking for, and engage them in entertainment, uh, entertain them in the process so that they don't go, ah, oh, another bad meeting. Exactly, exactly. And something you said there that, that I want to, to just dig a little deeper into. You, you mentioned the average scene in a television show no matter, and even in a movie, is about 90 seconds. It feels like... Particularly network television. Yes. Particularly network television. Yeah. Yes. It feels like, Bill, that that is about the length of time that our attention spans will focus us in on that thing that we're watching that art that is being created in front of us or has been created, been produced, edited, everything to, to, to give us snapshots of the story that is, that is attempting to be told. Is that reality? Is that we have, we have pinpointed the human attention span down to about 90? Where does the 90 seconds come from i think that's very interesting because that's the first thing that popped into my mind when you said that was oh that must be the average attention span of folks today well it's 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 not necessarily but we're, we're finding out that again we want people to move and and uh great programs are actually like a puzzle they're puzzle pieces and so we give you a great puzzle piece and then give you another one and another one and another one so that the story can unfold into something that hopefully is beautiful and fun and engaging and meaningful. I mean, technically, people say that our, our attention span is like right up there with a goldfish in seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I've never done that study, but I, I will take it that, yes, and part of that is is certainly driven not to say that it's a flaw but could be in fact an advanced process of our minds like when in my book the seven disciplines of relationship marketing i talk about millennials and millennials get a lot of grief for they just don't have attention span they don't pay attention mm -hmm. and you see them on their phone going wing 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 you know zipping through stuff well i'm going to propose that it is not a, an attention flaw but it is a highly evolved BS filter. Hmm. And what it is, is that they receive more information thrown at them than any other generation in the history of mankind. So it forces them to have to sort valuable, not valuable, valuable, not valuable, valuable, not valuable. And if it's really valuable, watch them dive in with the intensity of a, of a, of a brain strain. But if it isn't, boom, they're gone. Okay, Bill, I've got to jump in here. I've got to ask you this, okay, because I will be 50 in August. Mm -hmm. Why is it? Yeah. 
Well, you look so much better than I do, though. That's the thing. It's but, lighting. It's all yeah. about lighting. Well, yeah, and and I need you know. Listen, I need all the help I can get myself. But why is it that that particular generation that that just strikes me so peculiar? Because I'd like to think that maturity allows us to have a a strong BS filter. You know, I'd like to think that wisdom and you and I were talking before about our, our dear friend, Kevin Ward, who's been a guest on the intentional encourager podcast. Ward. Yeah. yeah. Love, love Kevin. But I would like to think that, that maturity and age give me a better BS filter, so to speak, than millennials. I find that so fascinating that you just said, Hey, they have taken in so much information that they have that highly evolved filter. How is it that our generation has somehow missed that, that filter, or is it that we just have repurposed it in a different way and a different direction for, for guys like, like you and I guys, our age. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think part of it has to do, we come from an age of, for lack of a better term, I call it the age of courtesy. That if someone made a point of writing us a, a note, we said, well, I'm going to read this note. Let's look at this. And we so we, we tend to process a little bit more methodically. And, um, and we give people the, the benefit of the doubt, if you will, where I think millennials have seen enough stuff. And look, anytime we see something, it triggers something in our brain. In fact, the, the, the part of our brain that says is valuable or not valuable or important is a piece called the reticular activating system. Uh, for example, just a, a, a example, let's say you bought a new car and let's say you bought a red Honda Civic, you know, and you've been looking for Honda Civics, but you just say, mm -hmm. I want to get a Honda Civic. That's what I want to buy. Well, guess what? Shortly after you buy that Honda Civic, you will be shocked how many Honda Civics have all of a sudden have appeared on the road that never were there before. And part of that's because your reticular activating system has elevated the Honda to something that is relevant and meaningful. So now it moves from the subconscious, boom, blah, 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 to the conscious alert. Ryan, there's something important in front of you. So we see things that we didn't see before through our reticular activating system. And I think because we we have the same reticular activating system as a millennial, I think the way that we processed has been, let me give them the benefit of the doubt. Let me double check this. Let's make sure that this isn't important and, and double check. Where, again, I think millennials will go, nah, nah, nah. But the reticular activating system will kick in. They'll see something that strikes them, mm -hmm. touches their visual cortex, says value do, 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 do. tune in focus yes hey everybody brian sexton here the new year is upon us and you may be sitting there thinking hey i would really love to pay off some debt or i would like to save for that dream vacation maybe you want to buy a new car whatever it is you want to do 
financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for Profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you, too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement. And you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. So I think yes. I think that's a fundamental difference. And, and also add to that the sheer volume of media that a young person takes in versus people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. We consume more information than anybody our age has ever done, but I don't think it even comes close to the sheer volume of information that we see in the youth of today having to consume. You, there's a couple things that I really want to – I love where this is going, Bill. I, I just – I love this. This is so fascinating a couple of things that struck me, first of all, is I was a child of the 70s. I can remember watching, as a little kid, watching Sesame Street and Captain Kangaroo and then, you know, moving up to Happy Days and Mork and Mindy and, um, and then getting into early teenage years, watching shows like Family Ties and, and The A-Team and and, and I still will connect with those. I'll see those on, uh, we, we were, my family and I were on vacation about a month ago and there was a, a, a retro channel and Mork and Mindy came on and I was instantly, I was on it. I love Robin. Robin Williams is brilliant anyway, but I was instantly transported back to being seven-year-old Brian, eight-year-old Brian watching Mork and Mindy on Tuesday nights on ABC back to that time in my life where we had three or four channels at home, maybe a little bit more, but you know what else I connected to bill? My dad was alive then my dad's not here anymore. So now I'm transported back and, and it's that, that age of courtesy that you were talking about because now, folks like us, we are more nostalgic, I, I, I believe, than, than this generation, the, the millennials you talk about. They've consumed a lot of information, but for us, that information means something. I, I used to read newspapers. We didn't have Google when I was in college. We had to go to the microfilm room at the library and, and see newspapers that were downloaded to microfilm. And, and now, you know, everything we would ever want is on YouTube. And I, and I think that, that people my age, I, I just feel like at times we just become 
more nostalgic for those times in our life of connectivity, is it possible that having too much information for our, and I have a 21 year old son, is it possible that although the, the, the part of their brain that filters through that valuable, not valuable, valuable, not valuable, is it possible that they're missing the nostalgia piece that folks like you and I, when we see something, we connect to that nostalgic time in our lives. Is it possible they're missing that bill? Well, I think it's definitely possible. I think there's really three, three things that are really important to what you're sharing right now, Brian. I mean, start, start with this, that inside all of us, despite how we look on the outside, inside all of us is every age we have ever been. So six-year-old Brian, still alive and well. Eight-year-old Brian, 10-year-old Brian, 14-year-old Brian is right there. In, these, in the feelings that you felt and the thoughts that, that you, you processed as a young man are still there. But now you have a couple things going for you. You have context. And so when you get older, a lot of our life is defined by the highs and the lows, birth, death, tragedy, triumph. So all these episodes that we have are no longer just experiences that pass through time, but they're experiences that have meaning attached to them. And you need context to have that meaning. Without that, for example, if you and I were just zipping down the road together, you know, and we, we flew by a billboard, which usually is what I do when I'm on the road, I zip by that billboard. That billboard doesn't have any contextual uh, meaning or emotion to it. But let's say seven years later, I realized that that billboard was always the last thing I saw before I sat down and had a meal with my family or yeah. before I visited an aunt or I went to that special picnic place or whatever. So context makes all those journey. So I would not say that it is a problem with youth. It's a matter of them getting that context. Um, but there is also, and I think this was really where you're getting at, <clears throat> is does the sheer volume become a risk? Sheer volume of information. And I would say yes. And part of it has to do with not so much volume, but it has to do with the difference, what I call the difference between destiny and distraction. Because also as you get older, theoretically, not, not for everybody, you start to get that prayer answered. That one where you say, God, please give me a map. Show me where I'm supposed to go. Please give me that map. I want to know what the next steps of my life are. And God rarely answers that with a map. But he usually faithfully answers it with a compass. And the compass becomes this beautiful trajectory of, our passions, our aptitudes, our life experiences, and those unfold to us on the journey. So when you get that, hopefully people our age are no longer just consuming massive amounts of information, but consuming information that keeps us relevantly moving towards the fulfillment of where we feel our purpose is, mm -hmm. where our calling is, where our destiny is. 
rather than just consuming information and allowing it to be an instrument of distraction. Oh, I think that's so good, Bill, because I, I feel like I feel this way. I feel at times that we in society have forgotten how to tell stories like our grandparents could tell stories yeah. or our parents could tell stories, especially as your parents get older, you yeah. know, you know, the, this, the stories of, and, and there will be times when my son will say, tell me a story about when I was a kid or things like that. And I, I don't feel like I'm as good of a storyteller at times as my grandfather, my wife's grandfather. And my wife's grandfather lived to be 98. He was born in 1922. I don't feel like that I have that ability. I want to, I want to, I want to tie that to, to your book, the seven disciplines of relationship marketing, because most marketers want to tell a story. It feels like to me though, many are still missing the mark in hitting that context that you talked about or getting to making me feel that connection. And, and here's an example of, of what I, of, of to me, now this is just to me and it's, it's no product placement. I think Smuckers does a beautiful job of connecting the past and the present and taking people back, whether they're 30 years old or 40 or, or like me, almost 50 and sharing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with your grandfather, or with your mom or with your dad or something like that. I feel like they do a good job of just bringing me to a, to that place of context where I connect with that moment. What separates great relationship marketers in how they're able to connect people to places, times, and things? Well, there's, there's a great, great setup. Great question, by the way. Uh, let's start out with really the first element of what you shared, and that's really the art of storytelling. It's a craft, and you get good by practicing your craft. If all you do is consume stories, but never tell stories, you're not going to be as good as those that tell stories. And uh, the nature of, like you said, grandpas and grandmas and people that are older, um, it's almost as if the lack of media demanded that they learn this craft for the sake of creating a point of engagement with their family. And again, some of them were good, some of them were bad. I remember my dad, pretty good. My uncle was fabulous. Uh, my aunt, not good at all. And you can look back and say, yeah, it really was a, pro a product of practicing that craft. But, um, you know, the other thing about relationship marketing and why that connects to storytelling is because ultimately a relationship means that 
I'm going to give you, my friend whom I love and care for, a precious gift. Hmm. Now, if the precious gift goes like this, hi, Brian, I'm great. I'm wonderful. You can catch me on Fridays for half off. You can, you know, that's one, it's not a story and it's not a gift. Mm -hmm. It's a declaration about me. And it's not about a relationship with you it is just really hoping that somehow by us being connected, we can lead to a transaction, which yes. is my secret scorecard. I want a transaction. And once I get into your wallet, all those fun little declarations, I'm just going to mosey off and leave because I achieved my mission. And you're going to share them with someone else who you're hoping that will, will take that same declaration and run with it like I did. Exactly. When in fact, relationship marketing uh, uh, is really, instead of writing uh, you know, a bold declaration to the world, it's like writing a love letter. Because when you write a love letter, you write it to someone. And it's someone that one, you care about. It's someone that you want to say things that are relevant and meaningful and timely. And your words are no longer just self-serving. They are a gift. And so someone who's really thinking about relationship marketing, um, yes, that includes storytelling. It doesn't mean that everything's a story. Story is just one vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and it's, it's a very viral vehicle. It's a very popular vehicle. It's just one of many ways that we want to express to the people we have the privilege of serving that I genuinely care about you and the outcome and the transformation you want to experience, not the transaction that I want to experience. And that's the difference. It's all about, Bill, I love the way you weave that so beautifully because, and I said this in my book, People Buy From People, people buy connection before they ever make a transaction. Because to your point, it's the gift. It's it's how you're going to feel when you make that transaction. You don't care that you're spending whatever it is you're spending. Because the, the feeling that you get is I want this or I needed this or you know, you you did something for me that I couldn't do for myself, and you provided a feeling that I wouldn't have otherwise had, had you not shared with me what you had for me that connected to me. And because of that, I'm grateful. And I share my gratitude by giving you my money that I work hard for, that, that, that I use to provide for my family. I love how beautifully you shared that. So let me ask you this. Why do many companies still fail to connect to the, to the, to, to give, why did, why do so many companies still fail to give that gift to their customers? Well, I think there, there, there's a couple reasons. Number one is that true relationship marketing is rarely modeled. It just isn't. And, and we will focus 
If you really want to know where people's focus are, focus is, look at what they measure. And most companies are not looking for the love index. They're looking for top line revenues, you know, gross margins and net revenues. And those are a product of transactions. Mm-hmm. So if your CFO, your financial person or whatever is ultimately measuring the success of your company based upon money, then guess what you're going to focus on? Guess what you're going to exhibit in your relationships with people? Even if you go in with this idea of, no, I really care, that is going to be gnawing at your psyche all the time. In fact, I use the example. I just, I remember when I uh, met my my wife for the first time and she was 14 years old. Okay. And I, I seriously, the first time I saw her, I was like, Whoa. Oh my gosh. Now keep in mind, I'm 16 years old. I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to tell you that my heart was pure, but I was really attracted. See to in West Virginia, that would be what we call marrying age. <laughs> And see that, you know, and, and, and the beautiful part of that story is if you would have said, and she's my second cousin, you, I would have, I, at that point, you, I would have said, you, my friend are a closet West Virginian. <laughs> no, we'll have to talk later. We'll look Forgive at me for, for, for interjecting there, but, <laughs> but you meet your, I'm sorry. This is just what happens in, in, in my tiny mind as you're telling the story. I, I'm trying to set up a joke here and it's. No, but that's I, great. I'm just concerned about all the West Virginians saying, wait a minute. Oh, listen, half of them will admit it and half of them will deny it. And the half that are denying it are probably lying about it. So, Okay, I'll trust, <laughs> I'll trust you on that one. But, you know, I mean, you, you can relate to that. And, and the thing is, is that um, there is a point where I remember taking her to a prom and my little teenage eyes did not always look into her eyes. They were gazing on the sheer beauty of who she was as a young woman. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes uh, they'll pick up on that and they'll give you that look. Hey, 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 right yeah, here, right here, look right yeah. here. Well, I share that story because I think that happens every day in a sales engagement where people go and they pretend, oh, look, I care about you. They know where your eyes are going. Yeah. And our eyes are sneaking around looking at their wallet. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, hey, quit looking at my wallet. Look in my eyes. Supposedly you care about me. But by what I witness from where you're looking, I can tell your intentions are not pure, Mr. Sales person. And that's what we have to challenge ourselves is that, this isn't just a behavioral change. It starts with a heart change. Mm-hmm. It starts with a real heart change for not only people that are making those transactions, because we have to do that to have business, but it comes from the leadership of an organization that says that we believe we can grow, we can prosper, we can create a profound impact in the world through the products and services we offer. And we can do this by genuinely going with a heart of service. And that means yes. walking away when it isn't right. And that means leaning in when it is right. And it means going the extra mile when you engage in that relationship. That's a heart issue. And when more leaders 
This, I'm talking to every leader, whether you have a small company or a multi-billion dollar company, a multinational company, the leaders will set the tone for the heart of how we conduct those relationships with each other and with our clients. And when we get that, that will be a big, a big change. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Have you ever wanted to live a bucket list life? Or if you're a business owner, have you ever wanted to incentivize your team in unbelievable ways? I have got just the thing for you. You need to contact my friend, Brad Norwood, with Dream It Pro Professional Events. Brad's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and I can tell you he has helped numerous companies achieve unbelievable things through experienced travel. Experiences are what people want. They want to know how they can live incredible bucket list lives as well, too. And Brad can help you with both of those things. I can't give you any better encouragement than to give Brad and his team a call right now at 479-466-6907 or go to www.dreamitpro.com. And when you get there, click on events and you are going to see some unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And I promise you this, unlike plaques, awards, trophies, things like that, experiences, and trips like these don't burn up in a fire. Again, go to www.dreamitpro.com today. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I love what you said there. Leaders set the tone for the heart of the business. I'm just writing that down. And Bill, here's what I was thinking when you were talking about your wife and, and, and you're talking about the sales process. I, I thought back, my wife's grandparents were married 70 years, wow. seven zero, 70 years before my wow. wife's grandmother passed away. I watched my wife's grandfather look at her the same way all the time. And by the time she passed, my wife and I were married 17 years by the time she passed. And by the time he passed, we were almost to 25 years. And I said that to say this is that I can imagine all the, all the years I was a part of their family that she was alive and he was alive. He looked at her the same way and they're married all those years. And I have to imagine that he always looked at her that way. From the time he first met her and they had children together, they started their life together to the, to the last breath that she took. I have to think that he looked at her the same way with, with unfailing consistency. And, and you just brought up something so beautiful in that analogy is that if we would treat customers, if salespeople would treat customers that way, you'd have relationships that would be unbreakable and would last, consistently last, because you're, you look at your customer the same way. I am invested in you, you're invested in me, we're in this together. 
good, bad, and ugly. So how do we change those things? Because the, the, the analogy of you and your, is so beautiful and it's so there and it's so meaningful. You just want to, you just want to say, why can't we do everything that way? You know, I, I please take the ball, take the ball from me and run with that. If, if I, if I have adequately described that in some way. Well, I think you, you, you described it beautifully and look, you know, we all learn differently. Uh, I mentioned earlier that one of the challenges that we face and why people don't do this is because it's been modeled to us poorly. This is the way you do it. And, and when it's modeled, um, we tend to repeat those mistakes. Um, and even though those mistakes can produce money, the question is, did we just create a bunch of transactions? Um, because I really, really, in my heart of hearts believe if we started treating each other, and I mean everybody, especially someone who can't pay me, uh, that I'm not around you simply because I'm going to get something out of you, but because you as another human being are worthy to be loved, mm -hmm. honored and respected. And when we start getting our mind in that space, I believe it not only changes business, um, but it changes us. It changes our world because one of the, one of the most hideous transactional relationships that we have to live in regularly is the one we have with ourselves. The one that says, when you look in the mirror, you're not so good. You failed. You let me down. You're not where I thought you should be at this point in life. You're kind of behind. What are you, a late bloomer? What's it going to take? Or will you ever get there? Is it time to take those dreams and quit suffering under the pain of wondering? And maybe you should just bury them now. Maybe you should just let them go now because why do you want to continue to just beat this over and over again when the truth is it wasn't meant for you? Yeah. And we say those hideous lines to ourselves all the time. You know, when I wrote my book, part of the motivation that drove it was not only being in the marketing and television entertainment industry for so many years, but was because of a death experience I had. And that changed me. And while that was profound for me, the truth is not everybody has to have a physical death to experience death. Many of us might experience the death of a relationship, the death of a career, maybe the death of someone else, the death of your finances. But probably one of the most hideous and tragic deaths is the death of a dream. And it's not because um, something necessarily happened to that dream. It's usually because we decided to put it out of its misery because having it caused us to live in misery. Wow. And what, what my prayer is, is that if we can break free from the transactional mindset we have for ourselves, the transactional mindset we have for others, and look in the mirror and yes, say even you are worthy to be loved and honored and respected, then chances are 
Yeah. Do things always go our way? No. In fact, um, I look at all the things that have happened in my life, and so many of them were not my plan A, not my plan A at all. But what I discovered was plan B, something that historically we've considered second, not as good, maybe even a failure. But I've learned that plan B stands for plan blessed. that divine appointment when you let go but you don't decide to put that dream to death and you say God how is this going to happen I don't expect a map but help me with a compass and give me the courage to walk forward today in the place that you've called me so that I can genuinely love and honor and respect myself and those around me because you, me, have gifts that nobody else has. And this world needs you. Well, and, and Bill, that's, that's the beauty of how God creates all of us. And whether you're a Christian or not, you're listening to this, you're listening to Bill and I talk, we're believers. We understand how God uniquely, uniquely makes people. And we understand that every day that we have, and, and I said this, Bill, is that, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording. And I told you the reason that I do this podcast is I'm hoping to make an impact in somebody, in one person, through conversations that I have with unbelievable folks like you, where somebody says, you know what, that helped me today. I needed that piece of intentional encouragement. I'm worth being loved. I'm worth people caring about me. I'm not just a transaction. I mean something. I'm valuable. You just so beautifully took us there. I want to pause our conversation. And Bill, I hope you'll come back. I want to tell your story. But I feel like this is a great place to stop for now. And if you would, share a piece. I know you've got a lot of intentional encouragement. You're a man of intentional. Just look at his post. Just go find him on LinkedIn. Look at his post full of intentional encouragement, but just share in this moment, whatever you feel is on your heart to encourage someone today. Well, I'll take a second and just let you know that I always wasn't this way. In fact, I was far from it. I grew up with a father that um, had a death sentence. He was supposed to die from a hideous disease. He was in chronic pain all the time, um, which made him very angry and caused him to be verbally and physically abusive. And the best he could do to control the pain was uh, using opio opioids. And, and, and sadly, he ended up becoming an addict. And... 
I think we have enough voices in our world, whether you have an abusive relationship or or even marketing that's all constantly telling you that you're inadequate unless you buy their product, that we hear the echoes of our inadequacy every day. And we can't change our past. We can change how we move forward. And for me, and this is just a, a little tiny piece that we can talk about further. But when I died, I had a profound after death experience. And I was pretty much convinced growing up that if I ever saw God or came in an encounter with the divine, I was gonna get you screwed up. You failed. You really let me down. I could hear the echoes. And I gave a lot of lip service to faith and all that. Like, oh yeah, but deep down I didn't want to meet God. And deep down I didn't want to face the fear of having even a dream only to be let down. But on that day when I died, I came face to face with God. And instead of facing the accuser, the echoes of my father, the echoes of my own voice, I met the embodiment of love. And I'll leave you with this, that no matter where you are on your faith journey and your life journey, that God doesn't just know you. God doesn't just like you. God doesn't just love you, but the creator of the universe is madly in love with you and has shed every tear with you, hoped every hope, dreamed every dream, and he's your biggest cheerleader because he wants you to live in the fulfillment of your greatest destiny. So don't let go of it. And know there's so much more ahead for you. Wow. Wow. Don't let go of your destiny. That is so powerful, Bill. And you're right. The Lord loves all of us. And you know, there are things in life, and I'm, I'm not trying to drag this on, but there are things in life that are unfairly unexplainable. And don't, don't feel like life has passed you by. If you're breathing, what Bill and I are, are trying to encourage you, what Bill, what Bill just so beautifully encouraged you, if you're breathing, there's hope. There's always hope. Bill, tell folks real quick, and, and my goodness, I, I just, wow, I am just, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've, you've touched me today. I appreciate that. Please let folks know, we will, I promise you, we will get Bill back on. We will tell his story because it, it's powerful. I want you to hear it, but I also want to be respectful of Bill's time today. 
Bill, let folks know where they can find you, connect with you, find your resources real quick. And uh, I know folks will want to connect with you. Well, there's really two easy ways. I mean, number one, um, we have an agency, Spirit Media, that you can go to spiritmedia.com, reach us through there. If the services and the work that we do is something that uh, you, your organization are interested in, we're there to support you. So you can see more about what we do. But on my, my book, The Seven Disciplines of Relationship Marketing, we have a, a landing page. It's seven, the number seven, drm.com. There you can um, have a link to Amazon where you can uh, hear the story of not only my death, but really what I believe is the greatest relationship marketing plan in history. The Seven Disciplines of Relationship Marketing, and it's available on book, Kindle, Audible. And we're really excited that we're also launching the video series for those people that really want to apply it to their business and their life and really dig in and do the deep work uh, to be the best leader that's not just uh, leading a company, but leading a legacy and creating a movement. If that's something that stirs you, we have the, the video course as well as we'll, we'll be opening up uh, workshops this summer. So those are really the best ways to get in touch with us. Um, I, I will say, and maybe next time we talk, I'll tell you shh, about the next book that's coming out. I can't maybe wait. It goes a little deeper. I can't wait. This That is so, so exciting. Bill Dolan, you have just powerfully given us so much intentional encouragement and i can't again from the bottom of my heart thank you my friend for taking the time to join us today on the intentional encourager podcast thank you brian thank you so much for having me My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.